If you're gay, then you're gay. Don't pretend that you're straight. You could be who you are any day of the week. You are unlike the others, so strong and unique. We're all with you. If you're straight, well, that's great. You can help procreate and make gay little babies for the whole human race. Make a world we can live in where the one who you love's not an issue. Thanks for tuning in, and welcome to IMRU Radio Magazine. We're back. The nation's longest-running lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender radio show. That's right, honey. Out front and out loud since 1974. I'm Ms. Barbecue. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Steve Pride. Tonight, we'll talk to a young out athlete about a yearbook omission. <laughs> and then we'll chat with, with one of Elvis Presley's sweet inspirations. And get the 411 on Lily Tomlin's first lesbian film role. It's hard to believe. I, I know, know, right? Really? And we'll visit with former Navy SEAL Kristen Beck. And give you a chance to win a copy of the CNN documentary about her, Lady Valor, the Kristen Beck story. But first, the national and international news from this way out. I'm Wenzel Jones. And I'm Chris Ann Eastwood. With NewsWrap, a summary of some of the news inter-affecting LGBT communities around the world for the week ending August 15th, 2015. Mexico's Supreme Court of Justice of the Nation this week declared that a state law limiting adoption to married heterosexual couples is unconstitutional. While the 9-to-1 ruling issued on August 12th struck down the law in the state of Campeche, it's being interpreted as applying to all 31 Mexican states nationwide. The Human Rights Commission of Campeche filed the challenge to the state's ban in Mexico's highest court. In addition to upholding the rights of same-gender couples, the president of the high court, Luis Maria Aguila, asked in the ruling, Are we going to prefer to have children in the street, which according to statistics exceed 100,000? We attend, of course, and perhaps with the same intensity or more, to the interests of the child. It's the same tribunal that also ruled in June that state bans on the civil marriages of same-gender couples are unconstitutional. While that decision didn't open the institution to lesbian and gay couples nationwide, it does allow those couples to successfully challenge their state's bans. Mexican marriage equality is already the law of the land in the Federal District of Mexico City and in the states of Chihuahua, Coahuila, Guerrero, and Quintana Roo. Costa Rican President Luis Guillermo Solis announced this week that his center-left Citizens Action Party government has introduced a bill to create common law marriage status for lesbian and gay couples. The legislation reforms several articles of the Central American Nation's Family Code to formally recognize stable relationships of more than three years between two people regardless of their sex, identity, sexual orientation, or choice. Common law marriages in Costa Rica offer the same rights and benefits as traditional marriage but require three years of cohabitation and the approval of a judge. 
If the bill becomes law, Costa Rica would become the first country in the region to legally recognize lesbian and gay couples. According to the Tico Times, a constitutional complaint was recently filed challenging the current definition of full civil marriage in Costa Rica's family code as being legally impossible between people of the same sex. There's still lingering resistance to marriage equality in the United States. In response to a question from a Toledo judge, the Ohio State Supreme Court's ethics panel said this week that any judge who refuses to marry same-gender couples based on personal, moral, or religious beliefs would be in violation of his or her oath of office. While the opinion is advisory only, it's said to carry some weight if it's an issue in disciplinary cases, which the ethics panel does review. A Colorado appeals court unanimously ruled this week that a baker violated the state's non-discrimination law by refusing to make a cake for a same-gender couple's wedding. The court rejected the claims of owner Jack C. Phillips that forcing him to serve the couple violated his free speech and religious freedom rights. The court held that discrimination on the basis of one's opposition to same-sex marriage is discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. And the drama continues in Rowan County, Kentucky. A federal judge earlier in the week ordered resistant county clerk Kim Davis to issue marriage licenses to same-gender couples, citing the U.S. Supreme Court's June marriage equality ruling. In Kentucky, county clerks issue marriage licenses, but someone else must solemnize the union. The license is then filed with a county clerk. Davis argues that issuing a marriage license to a same-gender couple that contains her signature is the same as her approving the marriage, which she says violates her Christian beliefs. U.S. District Judge David L. Bunning ruled that Davis's religious beliefs don't excuse her as a public official from following the law. Davis is now refusing to issue licenses to any couple, gay or straight. Kentucky Governor Steve Beshear a fellow Democrat, told Davis late this week to issue licenses to all qualified couples or resign. Local officials have also refused to issue licenses to gay and lesbian couples or to perform wedding ceremonies in scattered parts of Alabama, Indiana, Nebraska, and Texas. As the world continues to celebrate Caitlyn Jenner, there are reports that trans U.S. Army Private Chelsea Manning, known as Bradley Manning when she was charged in 2013 with the biggest leak of military intelligence files in U.S. history, has reportedly been placed in solitary confinement for, among other things, having an expired tube of toothpaste. Manning is serving a 35-year sentence at the military prison in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, for providing WikiLeaks with thousands of files about blunders and worse during the U.S. war in Iraq. Her attorney, Nancy Hollander, told reporters that Manning has been charged with four absurd violations of prison rules. Medicine misuse, that's the expired tube of toothpaste. Disorderly conduct for sweeping food onto the floor during dinner. Possession of prohibited property, in this case the Caitlyn Jenner issue of Vanity Fair. And disrespect of an officer. The maximum penalty for these offenses is indefinite solitary confinement. Manning also had a copy of I Am Malala and a novel featuring trans women called A Safe Girl to Love. It's not clear, Hollander said, why those and several other books and magazines were also confiscated. Manning supporters say she's being unfairly targeted because she has a growing voice in public discourse. She faces an administrative hearing in the coming week that her attorneys have asked to be open to the public. Not surprisingly, military officials have refused and have remained mum about the specific charges.
We told you last time about an unlikely week of peaceful LGBT pride in Jamaica, one of the most homophobic places on earth. Well, pride was celebrated this week in a rival for that title, Uganda. It's only been a year since the East African nation's top court struck down a law that would have jailed, repeat offenders, a private consensual adult gay sex with life in prison. Earlier versions of the bill punished aggravated homosexuality with execution. Dozens of LGBT people and their supporters marched with rainbow flags and umbrellas in a subdued procession at secluded Victoria Beach, located about 70 miles outside the capital city of Kampala. The August 8th event was the culmination of a week of festivities that included a transgender awareness day and film screenings. Despite the still horrific situation for LGBT people, or those perceived to be in Uganda, fueled by evangelical American cure peddlers who visited the country repeatedly in recent years, parade organizer Richard Lusimbo told the UK's Guardian newspaper that the Pride March was not a protest but a celebration. An equally unlikely new magazine for LGBT people and their allies recently debuted in Uganda. The publishers of Bombastic, with the help of Igelherk, the International Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission, have launched an Indiegogo campaign to raise funds for a second issue. For more information, log on to igelherk.org bombastic. That's News Wrap for the week ending August 15, 2015. Produced by Steve Pride, written by Greg Gordon, and recorded at the studios of KPFK Los Angeles. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap from This Way Out is brought to you by you. Help keep us on the air and in your ears at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast. For This Way Out, I'm Chrisanne Eastwood. And I'm Wenzel Jones. You can hear all 30 minutes of This Way Out on free podcasts at thiswayout.org or on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes. Also on the program this week, Prime Minister Tony Abbott finds a new way to delay inevitable marriage equality down under. And Mississippi's Supreme Court hears a challenge to the last, was it the last state law in the U.S. that bans adoptions for gay and lesbian couples. And I'm looking to be adopted, by the way. So oh, Mississippi. Oh, also Mississippi. in the news this week, though, was a story from my home state of Kentucky. Yes, I am from Kentucky. Ooh, girl. Home oh, of the, yeah, the famous... High Kentucky. Museum and all this stuff. <laughs> um, but it's really stuck in my crawl. This is... There's an out athlete that my friend Sid Ziegler has been writing about at OutSports.com. His name is Dalton Maldonado. And, well, you know, let's just let Dalton explain... Help us explain what exactly is going on there. Dalton. Hi, Dalton. Are you here? Hey, how you doing? There he is. Now, Dalton, this began a while back at a game. Take us back and explain how you came out in the first place. Um, so I was going through line after a basketball game, and we had just got beat by 32 points. So I figured, I figured the game would just go on, and we'd shake hands, and it would go on. And to my surprise... We shook hands, and the kid walked about five feet and turned around and said, Hey, number three, I heard you're a faggot. Ooh. So I kind of, like, paused, and I was like, Oh, no, because this is, like, every gay kid's worst nightmare. So I paused, and then I was like, Yeah, babe, can I have your number? So I, like, tried to, like, <laughs> joke it off. And that, it was uh, it was the only way that, 
it was the way that I had coped with what had happened to me when I was younger, and it was just the way that I had always coped with everything. So I go on, and I walk into the locker room, and I just start crying. And everybody's like, what's wrong? And my best friend, who knew I was gay, kind of like just told everybody, leave him alone, leave him alone, just let him be. And they kept asking, and I finally stood up and said I was gay. At that point, I sat down, and everything's rushing through my head, like, your family doesn't know. This isn't how you wanted it to happen. This isn't when you wanted it to happen. Your family doesn't support gay rights. And it was just something that it, I wasn't ready for. I didn't think I was ready for it. And then I walk outside, and we get on the bus, and the other team is, like, yelling at the bus, calling me a faggot, saying, let him off the bus. We get in the bus, and we pull off, and they follow the bus down the road. And it got, it, we were so scared that we turned the bus around and caught the cops, and they finally went on. Oh, my God. Well, Dalton, this is Wenzel. I'm, I'm just curious. Did you actually have a plan how you wanted to come out? Because I, I know it was thrust upon you. But um, did you um, have a way you wanted to do it? Well, as I expressed in my Facebook post uh, a few days ago, when I was, like, growing up, I always knew that I was different. I didn't know how different. And I had always thought about coming out, but I was molested and raped at a church camp. And that was something that really set me back. So that was always, until I imprisoned him and put him in jail, and it was just something that had always just scared me and just something that I didn't think that I was ever going to be ready for. But I was just wanting to wait till after basketball season, to be honest. And I didn't know how it would happen. I just figured it would kind of, I'd get a boyfriend, bring him home, and that would be it. But... It didn't happen that way. Now, Don, this is Miss Barbecue. Hey, baby. So, yeah, so, 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 your whole basketball team was very supportive of you coming out, though. Yeah, they rallied around me. They, uh, it was like, like my whole life, like I always felt like I wasn't connected to people because I was hiding this part of my life. And like once I like let it out, and they like embraced it and just accepted me, they would joke around about it. Like, I don't know. That was just something that. Uh, it was just an unbelievable feeling. Which brings us to the yearbook picture. Mm. Uh, so they ran a picture from from online. It looks like there's a picture of you in the team picture, but the individual shots around it was where you were not running. Is that? Yeah. And and you feel that that was intentional? Um, I don't, I do, I do because and even like. They said it wasn't, but I expressed like to them that I wasn't in it as soon as it had happened, and they just brushed it off. And it was to the point where, like, the yearbook, yeah, that was ridiculous, but it was to the point where it was ridiculous anyways, just the way I was being mistreated by the staff at the school. Like, I had, like, texts from other staff members that was, like, apologizing for the way that, like, other staff members was treating me. So it was at a point, like, if... Other staff members are apologizing for the way their coworkers are treating me. Then it's a point where someone has to stand up because if no one ever stands up, then they're never going to stop treating other people like this. Dalton, I have a quick question. My name is Steve. I am from Western Kentucky, Madisonville, and I have people in Danville, in the central part of the state. Paint a picture for people that aren't from there about how big this town and the high school is. Um, the high school, I think they was a. Uh, Hundred and eleven people in my senior class. Oh my goodness! So you're not lost in the crowd. There's Ooh, no, no way to forget you. No, there's no way to forget you. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so where do you stand now? You're getting ready to go to college. 
But where does it stand with the high school? Um, the they did an, the uh, first story that I told you. They did an investigation over that that lasted maybe two days, and they pretty much said that none of it was true. In spite of the text I had from my coaches, pictures that I had of the players outside my bus, they just pretty much said that none of it was true. Um, the second story, the investigation lasted under a whole school day, which is school days are eight hours. The story came out at four that morning. The investigation was over by two at school that day. So they are just pretty much just like, and today I finally uh, emailed the superintendent and said, if none of this is true, how come I have these texts apologizing from the staff? And he said that he was going to look into it. So I'm just, and it's not um, my community. I'm not. I'm not saying everyone in my community. When I say this, I want to make that clear because it's not everyone in my community. I'm making that clear, but a lot has like posted like negative stuff on Facebook about me, and I do see it. Like I do look at some of the stuff, and most of them aren't supporting me because they feel like uh, I'm talking about the whole Eastern Kentucky or the whole Betsy Lane, or it's an attention thing or that kind of stuff, and it's really not. It's the fact that. These people think that they can get away with, like, treating people wrong. And, like, they just think they can bully their way around and just make people hide who they are or just not speak their mind, and it's not right at all. And if no one ever stands up for it, then nothing's ever going to change. Dawson, our heart goes out to you. I'm sure that Sid will continue to follow this on Outsports.com, and we will follow you on Facebook and Twitter, and good luck. Thank you, Dalton. Thank, thank you, and, and yeah, thank you, sweetie. All right, baby. Enjoy college. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's awful. Wow. Well, at least he's standing up for himself. Back in, you know, speaking 15, of, 20 years ago, we couldn't. Speaking of yes. some bad stuff, Saturday oh, evening, boy. there was a lot of misinformation broadcast on the station about black lesbians in particular, which we will talk about at another point tonight. Not so much. But also yesterday was the 28th anniversary of Elvis Presley's death. So I was thinking to myself all day, how can we possibly compare? Find those topics for a piece. <laughs> and I think we have a solution. They say that behind every great man is a great woman. And in the case of Elvis Presley, there were several great women behind him. And they were called the Sweet Inspirations. This time the girl is gonna stay. This time the girl is gonna stay For more than just a day Oh, I just can't believe it Oh, I just can't His backup singers and opening act for nearly nine years. The Sweet Inspirations also sang background for a who's who of pop music on the greatest recordings of the 60s, 70s, and 80s. And one of those voices that helped define the sound of the generation belonged to a lesbian. My name is Estelle Brown. I'm of the Sweet Inspirations. Have been a member of the group since the early 60s. I'm from New York City. Well, I was born and raised in the church. And we had a family group. And we were called the Twilight Gems. Every month we would go to different churches and uh, perform. That's how I met. Sissy Houston, Dion, her sister Dee Dee, Myrna Smith, you know, that's how we all got to know each other. 
And um, Sissy was doing a lot of recordings at the time, and she needed some girls to make up a background. And she happened to call me in, and that's how I got involved with we weren't called the Sweet Inspirations at the time. We were called the Girls. And um, we worked for Atlantic Records. And basically, everybody that came through Atlantic Records, we did the background. Aretha Franklin, Dusty Springfield, Jimi Hendrix, Wilson Pickett. We worked with some of everybody. So they decided that they liked our harmonies so well that they wanted to record us as a group. And this guy named Dan Penn, wrote a song called Sweet Inspirations, and that's what they named us, Sweet Inspirations, and we put the record out. Elvis was getting ready to come back and go on his live performances again, and he heard the record, and he decided he liked what he heard, and he wanted us to back him. And so we worked with him from 69 to 77. What was Elvis really like? The biggest misconception that I find is that people, especially black people, think Elvis was prejudiced. That's not true. If he had been, don't you think in eight years we would have known? No. He was, like he said, I'm not your boss. I'm not over you. I'm your brother. And that's exactly way he treated us, like he was our big brother. And deep down in my soul, I really believe that Elvis and all the crew knew about my sexuality. No one ever said anything to me about it. They never downed me for it. They never asked me about it. But I, deep down inside, I really believe they knew. I know that all my group members know, you know, Sweet Inspirations know. You know. How did you find out he died? We were in the plane. We were going to... Um, I can't even remember where we are going. But I know that we had an engagement with Elvis, and we were leaving the day before. We were on the plane on our way, and they called the plane and told them we had to land because Elvis had made his transition. We just lost it. Everybody lost it. After Elvis died, for Estelle, the music died as well, at least for a while. We ended up working very briefly with Rick Nelson, but basically I was out of the group. And the other girls continued Sweet Butter Soul. I think that was the name of the group. They changed the name to Sweet Butter Soul, which did not pan out very well. So eventually we all got back together. When was that? It had to be the early 80s. Everybody else that came in never really blended like the four of us, Myrna, Sylvia, Sissy, and myself. No one ever blended like that, and they still don't, you know. But we can get people to do harmonies, but not the blend. The blend, it'll never be the same. Never. I don't think. Jesus gave me a little light. I'm gonna let it shine. Jesus gave me a little light. I'm gonna let it shine. Jesus gave me a little light. In 1982, Estelle helped fellow recording artist Carl Bean found the United Fellowship Church Movement in Los Angeles, a liberal mainline church 
that is explicitly welcoming of LGBT African Americans. Over the last 30 years, it spread that message of inclusion across the country, opening churches in Atlanta, Baltimore, Buffalo, Charleston, Charlotte, Columbia, Detroit, Long Beach, Newark, New Brunswick, New York City, Philadelphia, Riverside, Rochester, San Diego, and Washington, D.C. Estelle remains very active in the movement as a minister at the Los Angeles Mother Church. I feel we are with a God of love. If God is love, he's all love, then where does all this hate come from? And most people that shun the homosexual community are church people. Now, how can that be? You're supposed to be about all love. You say you're Christian. Christian only means to be Christ-like. So you're not being Christ-like when you spew out hate. That's not Christ-like. I don't believe that. So it's all right to be you. However you are, it's all right to be you. As long as you, you're respectful to yourself and to others, then it's all right. You know, I went through a big trip about my lifestyle, and I prayed about it. Lord, what should I do? Do you know what he said to me? It's not the songs that you sing. It's not what you do. It's the life you live. Make sure you live a decent life. And that set me free. I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Now, if because someone else doesn't understand it, that's on them. That's not on me. Because I have a personal relationship with God, as we all should have. And what he tells me, I'm sure if you ask him, he'll tell you too. But Estelle found not just acceptance at her church. She found her partner. And they've been together for nearly 30 years. Now, I'm not going to tell you it's been all peaches and cream, you know. Because naturally, as every relationship, they have their little whatever. But um, if you've made up in your mind that this is what you want to do and this is who you want, then work at it. Because it can work. It will work. What's your favorite thing about her? She's gentle. She's very gentle. And I love that. And she's very caring. She takes care of me. This has been a conversation with Estelle Brown of the Sweet Inspirations. And even if she had never sang a note, to me, she'd still be a sweet inspiration to us all. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. Oh, that was great. Oh, my goodness. Well, still to come, we'll get the skinny on the new film, Grandma. (laughs) In our conversation with Christian Beck, a former Navy SEAL who came out as transgender in 2013. Plus, a chance to win a copy of Lady Valerie, the Christian Beck story. We'll be right back. On this day in history, coming up now on the Rainbow Minute. August 17th, 1885, German activist Kurt Hiller is born. 
Known as an influential writer of the early German gay rights movement, Kurt Hiller often took stands that ultimately caught the eye of the Nazis, which landed him in various concentration camps. Hiller is known for standing up against Germany's Paragraph 75, the penal code which criminalized homosexuality. He even published his beliefs in a 1922 pamphlet titled Paragraph 75, The Disgrace of the Century. And because, after 1929, he also chaired the Scientific Humanitarian Committee, a group against ill-treatment of homosexuals, he was arrested and sent to the concentration camps. Ultimately, he survived and escaped to London, where he continued to write. Today, he is remembered with a plaque in Berlin. He died in 1972. The Rainbow Minute is produced by Judd Proctor and Brian Burns and recorded in the studios of WRIR in Richmond, Virginia, and read by volunteers like me, Tom Miller. Hello, I'm Kristen Beck, and you are listening to IMRU Radio Magazine, out front and out loud since 1974. On KPFK FM, 90.7 Los Angeles, 98.7 Santa Barbara, 99.5 Ridgecrest and China Lake, 93.7 in San Diego, or streaming online at kpfk.org. the Nellie Olsons. I'm Nora Burns. I'm Terrence Michael. I'm John Cantwell. And I'm Marissa Copeland. If you're looking for a codependent lesbian relationship with a needy woman, call me. I'm waiting. I'll move in with you. I'll become allergic to your cats and when you give them away, I'll break up with you. Is that how you like it? Oh, call me. I'll wear your clothes. We'll go get counseling together and adopt a Nicaraguan crack baby and then I'll sleep with all your friends. Is that how you like it? Oh, call me. Oh, Mama, you're so good to me. I'll stalk you till you take out a restraining order on me. Is that how you like it? Oh, call me. I've got some hot, steamy issues for you. We'll process everything. I'll make your life hell. Call me. Oh, yeah. Hey, everybody, it's Boy Shecky. Wow, what an attractive crowd. Everyone here is so good looking. I mean it. Everyone's so good. Whoa. Thank you, sir, for breaking the monotony. Excuse me, is this your wife? Hey, baby doll, wanna carry my child? Just to the corner, it can take the butt from there. Ha ha, you know, I've got an American flag tattooed on my chest. Flag pulls a little further down. Seriously, dog face, you wanna play doctor? You can be the receptionist. Wait, don't leave, I got a million of them. Welcome back. You're listening to IMRU Radio. I'm Steve Pry. I'm Ms. Barbecue. And I'm Wenzel Jones. <laughs> well, n- no comments from the peanut gallery about my brilliant singing. <laughs> oh, I was going to hold my applause till after the show, Mr. Pry. And I was just going to hold it. <laughs> well, speaking of heroic, mm-hmm. I recently had the opportunity to chat with a former Navy SEAL about politics, valor, and her amazing journey. Christopher Beck was a Navy SEAL, a hero, a self-described angry bearded Viking who hid her transgender status for 20 years in the Navy, finally coming out in 2013 and embracing her truth as a woman named Kristen. 
I grew up in a very conservative family, Christian, with five kids. I have three sisters and one brother on a farm with a bunch of horses and things. And, and my father made a comment that I was all boy growing up. And that was uh, something that I, I agree with. You know, I was all boy. But there was always that other part of me that was being suppressed, I guess, because of society's wishes or being forced on me. And I think probably before grade school, I knew that I was different. But growing up in the 60s and 70s, there's no internet and there's no information out there that I could find. So there was no word applied to it. And I thought I was totally alone. So I isolated. I kept it all to myself. Didn't speak about it to anyone. Didn't really think about it. I knew it was there. My older sister, I used to borrow a lot of her clothes. She never caught me. I was always really super sneaky about it, placing everything exactly. So I got very detail-orientated, and that might have helped me in my military career also. But uh, I never even dreamt about saying any of this stuff to my parents especially. I just suppressed it. I just lived as Christopher. I did let it slip out to my sisters, and I let them in on this secret that I had. I was in high school, I think. Kind of kept it at that level, just a couple of my sisters. My brother, I never talked about it because he was like that macho, really cool football quarterback brother. So I think he would have freaked out, but maybe not. I don't know. Those assumptions are tough to juggle. You got married and had kids. The uh, white picket fence, having a house and wife and kids, it's so ingrained into our thought process, I think, in society that I think it also applies to the uh, LGB part of our community that we're so ingrained with the idea that this is what success is. This is what normal, and I'm doing those air quotes again, normal, which one of those words that I can't stand. I don't think there is such thing as normal. But so ingrained in all of our thought processes in society that that's what I did. I ended up getting married and having kids and doing a white picket fence and everything else. And at that time, I didn't like myself. If I don't like myself, how do I love other people? I've come to some of the terms with all of that. I would be a lot better if I got married right now. I'd probably be a lot more successful at it. I'm looking at the world a whole lot differently. I look at myself a whole lot more differently now. So I wish I could go back in time and talk to that person. <laughs> you became a Navy SEAL. I was a Navy SEAL for 20 years. I joined in uh, 1990 in response to uh, Desert Shield, Desert Storm. I went through SEAL Team training in uh, 91 and was at SEAL Team 1 for a long time. I ended up doing 13 deployments. Seven of those deployments were in combat. I searched it out, the toughest of the tough, and then I went on from there to find even the toughest missions. Being transgender or being two-spirited didn't force me to do anything different. I am what I am. Going into Navy SEALs was a big part of who I am. I'm a sheepdog, you know. There are wolves in this world. There is bad stuff going on, and you need folks out there defending equality and defending the right, you know, the, the righteousness of, of people. So... When those bad people pop up, you're going to need some people to try to defend and fight. I am one of those fighters. You weren't just in the military. You were in one of its most elite units. What drove you? Even as a kid, I was driven. In the SEALs, I was driven, and I graduated atop my buds class. I was the fastest swimmer, fastest runner, and the fastest overall as far as the physical proudness goes because I drove myself. You know, I wasn't always born with those natural talents. I think my brother was definitely physically gifted a little better than I was for sports-wise, but I worked harder at it. I'd be out there running and uh, practicing and throwing the ball and swimming more and just practice, practice, practice. So through perseverance, blood, sweat, and tears, I became the top of that heap. You kept your secret from your military band of brothers. 
I kept the secret from just about everyone in the SEAL teams. I mentioned it to one of my SEAL team buddies. It was uh, one of my real old friends that I went through a lot of training with right in the beginning. His name is Mike. He lived on a boat just around from uh, where I lived on a boat. It was sailboats in, uh, in the middle of the San Diego Harbor. One night I went over there and I was doing a little bit of drinking and I had on a dress and a wig and all that stuff. I rode my little boat over to his boat and I uh, called up to him and said, Hey Mike, I got a six pack of beer. Do you want to drink a beer? He was like, yeah, sure. Come on board. Oh, by the way, nice dress. So it was, it was kind of good humor. And then we spoke for a while and he says, Hey, I was born in California, you know, super open-minded. My parents are kind of hippies. I can dig what you're coming from. It's all right with me, but uh, don't ever do this in front of anyone else. You'll be kicked out, beat up, whatever's going to happen, but it's not going to be good. So don't do this ever again. And so I kept that secret from everyone. You know, he was the only one that knew in the SEAL teams throughout my entire 20-year career. I was super afraid telling anyone, even up until just a couple of years ago when I first came out. It was huge amounts of fear when I first left the house. It was, uh, I mean, people lose their lives every week. Every week there is one transgender person killed in America, and that's just terrible. And so there is a lot of fear in the community for our safety and for our lives. That's one of the things I don't think that the LGB part of the community, I'm not really sure they really understand that. Because when you're transgender, you know, I mean, you're walking down the street, me walking down the street, I would have a dress on or skirt or whatever, and all anyone sees when they look at me is they see the dude in a dress, and that's not what I am. I might look a little masculine, but I'm not a dude in a dress, and I'm not making believe, and this is not something that you joke about. If you're part of the LGB community, you can be on the street, you can be anywhere you want, any walk of life, and it's not on your sleeve. You're not wearing it right there out so openly. Unless you want to, you can choose not to though. And I think that there are still a lot of people that try to hide it as much as possible. And even amongst the transgender community, the only way we can hide it is to not do it. You know, just to, in your own home and in privacy, you can uh, put something on and try to feel comfortable in your own skin, but you can't go in the street. The only safety we have is stealth. You have to hide in your house or you have to be so good at portraying yourself in the gender that you're comfortable in. You have to be so good at it that you can just blend in and be natural. We're targets, we're always targets. I'm a target. When I was in Tampa, I was walking down the street. I had an outfit on, nothing special, nothing flamboyant, nothing crazy. It was just me, just being myself. Kristen, walking down the street. I uh, had four gentlemen walking towards me. I scooted between them because it was kind of a smaller sidewalk. Excuse me, I got past them. And then a couple of seconds after, one of them come up from behind me pretty quick and punched me in the back of the head super hard and knocked me right on my feet. As he was punching me, he's yelling, fag. So it was like, fag, boom. I was knocked out, and I'm laying on the ground. And uh, the next thing I know, I'm waking up. And when I'm waking up, all four of them are kicking me. And uh, they're stomping me. So one dude is kicking me in the face. Another guy is kicking me in the chest area, and that, in my arms. And then the other two guys were down a little lower. So he's kicking me in my private areas, and they were trying to hurt me pretty bad. And they did. It was hard to walk for a while after that. I had a real difficult time. Talk about the distance between Chris Beck, the angry bearded Viking, and your true self, Kristen Beck. The angry bearded Viking. That was the person coming back from war. That was a person that was having a difficult transition from military to civilian. And you have to understand, it's pretty traumatic. Going from a war zone in firefights, and then a day or two days later, you're sitting there with a huge welcome home sign in your house and your kids. Everybody's trying to be all happy and they're giving you hugs and all that. But a, a day earlier, I was in a war zone. You know, I was in combat, in firefights. So how do you make that transition? 
And so it was definitely difficult for me to do that. And back in those days, there was no welcome home wagons. There was no, there was no therapy or anything. They just, they just stick you on an airplane and fly you back home, and you jump on a bus, and the next thing you're home. So like I said, it was two days after a firefight. I'm sitting there talking to my wife and kids, and it was pretty traumatic. I didn't really handle that very well. So that distance from that person to who I am right now, it's quite a big distance, but it has nothing to do with gender, has nothing to do with my journey right now. It has to do with me understanding who I was during that war, what I was doing and what we were fighting for, and then trying to come back here to America and just being a civilian, you know. One of my SEAL team buddies mentioned that he likes Kristen a lot better than he likes Chris. But you have to understand the timing. I was in the SEAL teams. I was the chief. I had a lot of responsibility, and I was pretty intense. So when you're in charge, sometimes you just get so caught up in just that command and control that sometimes you don't really act like a human being. I'm a lot better now, I think, as far as my balance, my own happiness. And so because I'm happy and I like myself, I'm able to also pass it on to other people. And I think that a lot of us have that control, and we kind of lose it. There's a ton that we do, I think, to each other that it's kind of a reflection of how we think about ourselves. I'm giving myself a break now. I'm being nicer to myself so I can be nicer to everybody else. I've noticed you have no problems with pictures of you before you transitioned. There's a lot of people in the transgender community that they see their previous self as something that's not them. And once they transition or once they change genders, and it could be any one of the various steps through that, just having longer hair or starting to wear makeup and the clothing change and all that. But I see all that as just outward. And so myself, personally, that person that I was before, Christopher, and that angry bearded Viking, that's still me. You know, it's 100% me. And this is the vessel that my soul inhabits right now. How can I deny the fact that that was also me? I am who I am right now because of who I was before. For me to totally deny that and not to look at those photos and go, yeah, that was me. And I've learned a lot since then. Why would you want to cut out your entire lifetime that you had before this? I don't really totally understand that. I'm not denying that person. And I hold that person in my heart. And that is me. And now you see Kristen, Lady Valor, and all that. This is still me. So both sides of that coin, it is one vessel holding on to those two spirits. What's the biggest misconception about Kristen Beck? That I've changed since being Christopher, senior chief, Navy SEAL. I haven't changed. So you see all these outward changes, and you see me wearing a different outfit, or you see a little bit of makeup, my hair is a little bit longer. These are just minor differences. So that soul, that person, my intellect, my mental capacity, my ability to be a Navy SEAL, to be an American, to be a patriot, all of that is 100% the same person. So the misconception is that I've changed. I haven't changed a bit. I'm still me. Your journey was chronicled in the award-winning CNN documentary, Lady Valor. What do you hope people take away from your story? The fact that Human beings are dynamic. We are changing. We are fluid. We are gray. We are not Conan. We are not Barbie. We are not binary. You can't put labels on it. We can be anything we want to be is put our mind to it. The universe has no limits on what we could do, yet we continually put these labels, yet we continue to limit ourselves. We continue to beat each other up over these minor differences. We continue to crush each other trying to fit us into these little boxes and that's one of the biggest problems we have with right now with humanity if we could open up our minds just a little bit and understand how amazing 
humanity really is, I think we would have a way better life on earth. I think that we could grow as humanity and become something special. And I think that's what I want to do. I want my soul to flourish, and I want it to flourish however it needs to flourish, and that would be part of this journey. Part of the journey for me is this gender journey. Even the film and trying to open up other people's minds, that is part of my journey, and I'm going to accomplish that. The next chapter in your amazing journey is a run to represent your home district in Maryland in the U.S. Congress. Why? I saw things going on in our government that I don't agree with. We're turning it into a nation of hate because we're so polarized with these issues. It just doesn't make any sense where we're going right now. And so I think that we need some people up there in Congress with some common sense that have served in other capacities. I'm not a professional politician. I think there's too many professional politicians up there. I think they lost the fact that they are there to serve the people, that they're not there to get a paycheck and be professional politicians. I would love to see those guys that are there for their 10 or 12 years. You need to go back and live under the laws that you just put in effect. Most of them don't. I think they've been bought and paid for. I think that they're moving our country in a direction one way or the other, and uh, it's going to put us off the tracks, you know, and we need to bring it back in. And that's what I want to do. So when I saw all these issues going on, I had to act. I'm going to step up. So I see problems. I step up and I do something. I'm not just going to talk about it. I'm going to be actively in the fight. I want to make a difference. You know, I love my country and I love being one of the people. And I will always be one of the people. I'm going to fight for the people because that's what I am. We label our movement LGBT. But forget that sometimes there's a huge divide between issues of sexuality and issues of gender. Everybody kind of delineates the fact that LGB is one part of the community and then the T is a whole separate part. And I think we could say the T and the Q, the uh, questionnaire, the queer side of our community, is uh, kind of off on our own because the LG actually started out with just the G. We're uh, such a powerful force in this movement and pretty much on our own. They saw themselves as separate from everybody else. I still think to this day, that there is a lot of separation inside of our community between the LGB and the T. And just recently has the rest of the community even reached out to the transgender part of our community and uh, understood that we are part of the community, even though we're so different, even though that we are separated because one part of the community is all about sexuality and sexual orientation, and another part of the community is about gender and about their self-identity. But I still think it's all the same, because when you really look at it, it's about freedom. It's about equality. It's about a disenfranchised and a, and a crushed part of society that have all banded together to uh, defend ourselves. When we realize that, how close we are together, don't even talk about the sexuality part. Don't talk about the gender part. Don't talk about any of that stuff. Just talk about a community, a diverse community that can all come together and work as one and work as a team to try to bring that equality, understanding, and open-mindedness to an entire nation. And that's what I would like to concentrate on. It's not about civil rights. It's not about sexual orientation rights. It's not about marriage equality. It's not about gender expression and gender identity and all that stuff. It's not about any of that stuff. It's not about civil rights. It's about human rights. And when we all come together and we realize that, that diversity flag is not about sex or gender or anything else that we keep applying it to. It's about diversity and it's about pride. It's about us coming together from all different walks of life and coming together for a common cause, and a common cause is human rights. This has been a conversation with Kristen Beck, a hero in so many ways. And this is Steve Pride. 
Thanks for listening. My goodness. Oh my goodness. I love that interview, Steve. All right, y'all. You know what time it is. It is giveaway time. If you loved that interview, just like I did, you call right now and you can get yourself a copy of Lady Valor, the Kristen Beck story. You got to call 818 985 5735. Again, guys, that's 818 985 5735. You got to the end of this, end, end, of, end of our episode to get, get on that phone and get to call in so you can get your copy right now, well, y'all. Best not be waiting. We Does, only have a couple copies. Did you say best? They best not be waiting. <laughs> oh, Miss Barbecue, you make everything sound like an event. <laughs> Go get your copy, y'all. I want to get mine too. I am so inspired by. Here, put this yes. copy in your purse. Yes, no. I'm gonna put it in my purse right now. Oh, let's play what's in your bag. That's right. A copy You're of Chris, co- copy of Lady <laughs> Valor, the Kristen Beck story. Give a call now. All right. And Laugh-In star Lily Tomlin was nominated for an Academy Award for Nashville, her very first film, back in 1975. Ooh, Lord. Forty years later, she still wows, and Steve Pride reports. In the new film, Grandma, from Sony Pictures Classics, Lily Tomlin is Elle Reed. Elle has just gotten through breaking up with a girlfriend when her granddaughter Sage unexpectedly shows up needing money for a medical procedure at sundown. I need some help, Grandma. Okay. I need $600, $630. For what? I'm pregnant. But Elle is temporarily broke. You know, I cut my credit cards up into little pieces. I made a wind chime out of them. Why would you do that? So Grandma Elle and Sage spend the day trying to get their hands on the money with unannounced visits to old friends and current flames. Who is he? A one-night stand? No, ew. He's kind of my boyfriend. Yeah. Why didn't you use a condom? Or for humanity's sake, get a vasectomy. Oh, who is this? My grandma. Oddly, this is Lily Tomlin's first lesbian role. I've played so many different kinds of characters. I guess it was good that I turned to playing myself or Mm. someone like myself. Well, in The Search, there's a gay character in The Search. I played her. But yes, and this character is very much like me. I mean, physically, just... Every way in terms of her youthfulness in her body. I mean, she's not stunted in any way from the years she's lived. And I drove my own car and I wore my own clothes. So it was quite a bit close to me. I guess it's about time I turned to playing myself. To a major extent, writer-director Paul Weitz wrote the character Elle for Lily Tomlin and is proud not just that it's a gay character, but that it's a woman of a certain age. I like the idea of calling it grandma because that comes with various associations about sort of a sweet, you know, maybe ineffectual person. And that's such hogwash now when you look at what people of a certain generation, sort of the, the amount of history they lived through and the amount of sort of social turmoil. I thought it was interesting in terms of the specificity of the character that this was a character who, unlike Lily, had a really long-term relationship but had lost that person two or three years before. And if they had who knows whether they would have chosen to or not, but if they had chosen to take advantage of the legal opportunity to get married, they wouldn't have had that opportunity because of just timing. I was really interested in how much Lily's character had seen, and also the idea that this is not a movie where the characters who are in their 70s, like they have a lot of life to live, and <laughs> they're still learning stuff, and they're still extremely vital. I was very keen not to have any implication that 
this was any sort of swan song for the character. There's lovely movies about people who are who don't have much time left, but that was not what I wanted here. I wanted it to be somebody hardcore. Guess I'm an idiot. Guess you are. Screw you, Grandma. Not bad. Grandma is a low-budget indie film, but it was a labor of love for whites and boasts a cast that includes Marsha Gay Harden, Elizabeth Pena, John Cho, Sam Elliott, and even Laverne Cox. What do you say about the money, honey, if you have it? Christ, I wish I did. Your grandma, she really helped me out a long time ago. Add these two defective boobs. They were just <laughs> leaking, leaking silicone all the way down to my knees. It was awful. It was not pretty. And Al here, she really came through. And now you need me. And I'm broke. I'm broke again. Oh, Al, you look great. Hey, you want a tattoo? Now that I can do. You want a tattoo, oh, darling? Oh, no, no, thank you. I, you know, we should probably How get going. How long would it take? A little one. Oh, not long, honey. 15 minutes tops. You know I'm a quick draw. What? I need to collect my thoughts, I'll tell you. We need to re-strategize. Although Tomlin's character is a lesbian in the process of breaking up with a younger girlfriend, and the backstory is about the loss of her longtime female partner, Elle's sexuality is just one of many interesting things about her. I reminded Lily of her role as narrator of the celluloid closet and ask about the no big deal aspect of this character's sexuality. Well, I think it's extraordinarily wonderful that a big deal isn't made out of her sexuality, that she's just another person. And I'm so glad to hear you say that it plays universally. From all I've experienced, I would think that too, but you never know. Could be I'm just meeting a bunch of hip people. Uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, I hadn't even thought about that connection. And Vito was a good friend of mine. So it's nice, it's good. Grandma is a simple but beautiful story, and it opens in theaters Friday, August 21st. This is Steve Pride. Thanks for listening. Well, that's the end of our ride. Gather your personal courage, take timid politicos by the hand, and exit to the far, far left of the Transforward Motion. Our thanks to tonight's director, Matthew McLaughlin. Remember, the KPFK Summer Fun Drive continues from 6 a.m. until 6 p.m. every day this week. Please support it. You can even pledge right now online at kpfk.org. We're going to close tonight with the original version of the song we teased you with in the Kristen Beck interview. In the Navy by the Village People. Search the world for treasure, learn science, technology. Where can you begin to make your dreams all come true on the land or on the sea? Can you learn to fly, play in sports, a skin that study oceanography? Sign up for the big band or sit in the grandstand when your team and others meet. In the Navy, yes, you can sail the seven seas. In the Navy, yes, you can put your mind at ease. In the Navy, come on now, people, make a stand. In the Navy, can't you say we need a hand? Check the motherland in the Navy. Come on and join your fellow man in the Navy. Come on, people, and make a stand in the Navy. In the Navy. In the Navy. Oh. They want you. They want you. They want you as a new recruit. If you love.
can sail the seven seas in the Navy. Yes, you can put your mind at ease in the Navy. Come on, and make a stand in the Navy. Can't you see we need a hand in the Navy? Come on, protect the motherland in the Navy. Come on, and join your fellow men in the Navy. Come on, people, and make a stand in the Navy. Seven seas in the Navy. Yes, you can put your mind at ease. 